Hello, and welcome to episode 69 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee, and I am so glad you have joined me today. Today, I'm just going to tell you some stories from my bee yard, just on the theme of keeping it real. I'll start out with some mistakes I made this week. (laughs) One of them was losing a queen. Now, luckily, this wasn't a queen I was very fond of, so when she flew away, I basically said, oh well, (laughs) bye-bye. But then again, I was also amazed, because what happened was, I was marking this queen. Now, I don't always mark queens, it's only in certain circumstances, but I want to get better at it, so I wanted to practice on some queens. Now, I practiced earlier this year on drones, and for some reason, drones are just really easy to practice marking on. I mean, they don't struggle really hard when you pick them up. I was trying to get my hand-eye coordination good enough to just pick up a queen and mark her the way the professionals do. But I may just lay that goal down (laughs) and use the tools meant for us non-professionals. But what happened was, this was a retired queen I had pulled her out of a hive in order to give them a breed break and get a new queen. I believe I did a reading for the patrons over on the Patreon audio feed about the nucleus method of both doing a split and giving a brood break, which is sort of what I was aiming for with this hive. So I had set aside the queen and a small staff and some stores in a little nuke. That serves a couple of purposes. One is I still have her in the event that something goes wrong with the requeening in the larger hive. That way they do get a brood break, but if they get a queen return that I'm not happy with, or if the queen doesn't come back, or all the things that can happen during a queen return, then I have the old queen there on standby. And if I've put her in a retirement nuke, then she's not half bad. She's pretty good. Um, I might not want to rear more queens from her, but I do want to keep her around in case she's needed for just this type of thing. But one of the things about having an older queen, a strong but older queen in a small nuke, is they can fill up that nuke and swarm before you know it. And that happened to me several times last year. And I would go in the nuke, and it seemed like there was less population than last time. But in a in a nuke, you know, I, my memory's not that great, or maybe I didn't take good notes on that one. I'm like, wait a minute, did this hive swarm? And if you haven't hit it the, the right spot at the right time, then maybe they've already got a queen back. And so there's a queen laying, but it doesn't look like the same queen. Anyway, there's many reasons to wonder, is this the same queen, the old queen, or have they replaced her? And so marking queens is nice because if you've got a new queen laying and she's not marked, and if she doesn't have little tiny paint chips left of uh, where she was marked and they've cleaned it off, (laughs) then that's a new queen. And so last fall, I made a note to myself on my things to do better next year list was to do more queen marking, particularly in these retired queens, so that I could tell if the hive had replaced that queen. So this year I was practicing. I've done several successfully, felt good about it, picking up the queen, having her in between my fingers. There's a very specific place you have to hold her in order to keep from hurting her. I've seen some people pick them up by the wings. I don't really like to do that because I feel like if I accidentally break the tips off her wings, which strangely is what people who clip their wings of queens do, I don't do clipping of queen wings. One is I just, I don't know, I just don't. But the other is I, I... I'm a little concerned that my bees would interpret that clipped wing as a defect and replace her. For some reason, the bees I have 
do not hesitate to replace their queens if they just don't like the way she looks that day. <laughs> so I don't want to give them any reason to replace her, particularly if I really like her. I've worried about even marking queens, whether that makes her seem unusual to them and gives them a reason to replace her. And so some of my very favorite queens I do not mark because I don't want to do anything to them that would discourage the staff from keeping her. And to that effect, if I have a favorite queen that I, I definitely want to make more queens on, and maybe she's getting older, maybe I've tested her a couple of years, and I'm like, man, she, I love this girl. I want to make more of this queen. Then sometimes I will put her and a small staff in a nuke box where the hive is less likely to just go on a rampage and decide to replace her. And then the other thing I do is always make sure she has plenty of room to lay in that little nuke. Because one of the things I found out is that if the queen is restrained, in laying. If, if she's filled up her brood space and she doesn't have room to lay, then sometimes the bees will take that as a signal that she's petering out. And maybe she is or maybe she isn't, but she can't lay because there's no room and they take that opportunity to go, let's get a better one and they offer. So these are things I've learned, some of them the hard way. So for whatever reason, you're keeping a good queen in a nuke box, make sure that sometimes you take out a frame or two of capped brood and you put some empty drawn comb in there so she can lay a nice big pattern. This allows several things. It allows you to check her pattern and make sure she's still doing okay. Make sure she's not um, running out of sperm and becoming a drone, drone layer as she gets older, but also so that she can convince her staff that she is still productive and they should not kill her today. Because as you know, those little boogers have a very strong, the queen is dead, long live the queen type attitude. And it's, it's all one lineage to them. And they're not that attached to that particular queen. And if she's not looking too well today, they might decide to get themselves a new queen. So anyway, I have several of these little retirement newts. I've been practicing on those old queens of marking them. One, because those are the most likely queens that I need to know if that is the same queen. And the other is they're kind of expendable, um, not in a casual way. But if I accidentally mess up or maybe they don't like the paint marking, then it's not the end of the world. And that's a good thing because I pull this queen on a frame out of this nuke to practice marking her. And like I said, I've been trying out the picking them up technique. And I queens are hard to get a hold of. <laughs> They're squirmy little things. And unlike the drones who will just kind of sit there in your fingers and let you mark them, the queens fight like little wildcats. And, and obviously you're trying desperately not to hurt them. And so I was trying to get this queen in my fingers in the right position without hurting her. And when I, so I had her in my hand, I was waiting to get her at the right angle. And so she's walking around on my hand. And at that moment, she just lifts up out of my hand and flies away. Now, a lot of times a laying queen, if she flies away, God forbid, um, she will just fly a few feet into the grass. And if it's long grass, you might have a problem. But sometimes she just flies on the ground. And if you never take your eye off of her, you can walk over there and pick her back up. But this one went straight into the heavens. Um, I had a recommendation from a dear friend that we should have called her Elijah because she just lifted up into the heavens and flew away. <laughs> and I was standing there with my mouth open going, wait a minute, I, I thought a lion queen couldn't fly very well. So I don't know if that's just one of those rare occasions where the bees don't read the books and she sure she could lay and fly like heck at the same time. Or if perhaps they were slimming her down and getting her ready to swarm and that's why she could fly. 
I never took my eyes off of her as far as I could see her because I, I thought, well, you know, if she goes down into the field, I'll run over there and see if I can, well, not run, you know, stroll quickly over there to see if I can find her. But she just flew away and then flew into the forest. Now, my friend who is doing a lot of, of queen rearing, Michelle, she said, check that nuke because you will be surprised at how many times they find their way back. Now, she works with queens all the time, so I'm going to take that, and I definitely, before I requeen that nuke, I am going to um, make sure she didn't sneak back. But like I said, she wasn't my favorite queen. In fact, in fact, they, she's a little bit testy. She makes a little bit testy bees, but they're pretty hardy and disease-resistant and put up good honey, so I had put up with her a little bit. But now she's gone. At that point, I believe I'm just going to fall back and not learn this picking them up with the fingers and just use the tools that they make for people just like me who don't mark 20 queens every day and get their fingers in that kind of shape. The tool that I use and that I'm, I like the best to mark my queens, it's, a, it's called a queen marking tube with a plunger. And it's a tiny clear plastic tube, kind of about the size of a medicine bottle. It's got a plunger with a very soft sponge on the end. And then on one end of the tube, there is a netting. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But there's a netting. So what you do is you, you get the queen in this tube. I found that the easiest way is to kind of lay the tube sideways on the frame and just gently herd her in there with my fingers. And it might take a few times, but it, it usually works. Then once she's in there, you very gently put that little plunger in and you push it very gently, hold her against that netting. And this takes a lot of hands, and it, so it takes some practice. Don't practice on your best one first. In fact, you might want to practice on marking drones in your queen marking tube for about 10 times and before you do a queen. So I had done this in the past. I had one of the plungers, and the netting on the end was made out of um, a kind of string. It kind of looked like very fat dental floss is really what it looked like. And it was very easy to press her, to wait till she was in position, gently press her up so that, that her little domed thorax kind of stuck through the string. You could mark her very easily. As soon as I got her marked, I would pull back on the plunger so that she had an inch or two so that she could just run around in there and dry and let the paint dry before I put her back with the bees. Because um, if the paint is wet, the bees will start cleaning her off right away. Other thing I learned about this plunger is you want to be careful because the little sponge on the plunger, it is possible for it to begin to smell like queens, smell like queens that are not the queen that you're marking. And thus, if you just quickly put her back on her frame, they may take a smell of her, go, this is not our queen, and jump on her to attempt to kill her. What I do with that is I very carefully smoke my plunger. <laughs> in between queens, I smoke the, the little sponge on the plunger to try to make sure that any queen odor that's still on there is obscured. But everything is not without a catch. This wonderful little twine netting, if you will, the little threads are not locked together. So if you have a very determined queen and you did what I did, which was, was letting the queen's paint dry, I laid it down and I walked away and did something else. And a few minutes later, I come back, there's no queen in there. And she had wedged herself out of the string and disappeared. And you would think that I would be able to find a marked queen walking around, but I don't know where she went either, but she disappeared quickly. So I got frustrated and I'm like, I'm not going to, I think I threw that one away to my regret later. And I went and got one from the bee store in Weaverville that had a plastic, the end of it, the mesh was, um, a rigid plastic stuff. And I thought, okay, she can't get out of there. But 
it turns out i don't like this one because the plastic the mesh is so small that it's very difficult to get her in position and mark her and and if you get her in position it's very difficult to get enough paint on her to get a good mark also because that plastic is rigid i don't feel as comfortable pressing her against it the way I did with the the string-like stuff. So I don't like this one. <laughs> this is me and my gadgets. This is what happened. This is why I have like five of everything because I'm like the little video that I put up for the patrons about frame feeders. And I have two very similar models of frame feeders, but there's just a couple of details that I like so much better, the new one than the old one. And that's a, for uh, patrons. That little video is up and it's my first attempted at video. So I messed up and did it vertical, but, I, but I'm going to learn and I'm going to put up little videos of uh, particular equipment tidbits for the patrons over at patreon.com slash five apple. And of course, I invite you all to join there. If you're able for just a buck a month, you can become a supporter of this podcast and get my everlasting gratitude and also get little silly videos and things that I make for you guys. Here I am. I've thrown away the one with the nice little thread because I lost a queen from it. And then I now I want to throw away the one with plastic because I don't like the way it works. So I go back online to try to find one of these more old-fashioned ones with the thread stuff on top. Turns out nearly everybody is now only carrying the ones with the hard plastic mesh on top. I would guess it might be because people complain that their queens got out. But the other one is just so much better for marking and I now that I know that they can get out, then all I'll do is either I'll stand there with her and exercise some patience while she dries, plunge her in my hand and not lay it down and walk away like I did. Or if I, ha if I need to lay it down, walk away, obviously not laying it down in the sun, then I have the little net bags. I use them to strain honey after they get kind of grody, then I just have them. And so I'll use an older net bag that's sweetly scented of honey, and I'll just put the plunger inside the net bag to lay it down if I need to do that. So it's kind of my poor man's version of a queen muff, which is this little another net gadget. It's like a, a big net tube that if you're doing something with queens and you want to make sure she doesn't fly away, you can do it inside this uh, this mesh tube. So that is the saga of my Elijah Queen, who is went away sadly, well, kind of sadly, because I was on one level, there was a part of me that was just like, bye-bye, and I was glad to see her go. Because like I said, I had mixed feelings about her, but I just, there wasn't enough bad about her to just get rid of her. There wasn't enough good about her to be totally excited. So nature took care of it for me. Now I have a little queenless nuke. It's a pretty good size nuke. So I'm going to let them go through a brood break. Uh, this will just sort of save me from worrying too much about their mite situation because it is a nuke. Unlike a hive, you can be a little more, a little more casual with the mites as long as they're getting a brood break now and then. And since they haven't had one, since they've had a retired queen in there, well, here's my opportunity. So what I'm letting them do is I'm letting them start the process of requeening themselves. So they're drawing queen cells right now. I have a big giant mark on my calendar and an alarm set on my phone <laughs> to remind me of the day, which is day 10 after I removed her. Let's call it removing her. <laughs> and um, so on day 10, I will go back in there. If she were a good queen, I would be harvesting those queen cells and, just, and I would leave one in that nuke 
on a frame and then I would distribute other frames that had good looking queen cells in different mating needs. And this is all frame based queen rearing. Usually you have to each frame, you can only salvage one queen off each frame because if you have plastic foundation, then you can't cut those queen cells off. And if you have a bunch of queen cells on wax foundation, then it can be difficult to separate them. Anyway, there's other podcasts on the frame based queen rearing that that I often do when I can't get myself together to go through the whole process of grafting. So there you go. There was my um, first mistake of the week. It, it's a multi-part mistake. And uh, one was throwing away that queen tube when I got mad at it. And now I am online looking for someone who carries those old-fashioned queen tubes. I think I have located one from Rossman Apiaries down in Georgia. Now, y'all don't get on there and order them before I get my order in, <laughs> but um, I've got a I want to call them or contact them and actually ask them if their queen marking tube with a plunger is the kind with the string like stuff versus the hard plastic mesh. Now, see, don't you love it when I just go ahead and make these mistakes for you and spare you the trouble of going through it? But I'm kind of kidding on that because, you know, there's nothing like there's no mistake in my opinion, there's no mistake you're less likely to make again than one you made big as life with your own two hands, and you won't do that again. At least for me, sometimes that is how I learn. So in other happenings in the bee yard, finally, finally, we have a summer flow. And for the first time in my yard, I believe it is actually basswood. I've always told multiple mentors, I don't have any basswood out here. And one mentor in particular go, yes, you do. You just have too much other stuff and it's covering it up and you can't taste it. In this, this bizarre, bizarre year, and here I'm just limiting that statement to the bee yard. The flow here has been so odd because of that early spring, then the cool off, then the hard freeze on Mother's Day, then it all came back out, then it's rained pretty much once a day every day it's felt like for the the whole year, and then beautiful sun in the meantime, but it is a lush jungle around here. I mean a jungle. The trees are hanging over the road like I've never seen them but unfortunately, it's not been the greatest bloom year. Finally, they're getting a basswood flow. And for whatever peculiarity of this year, either it's strong enough or there's not enough other stuff, I can actually taste it. So I've been tasting some of the, the nectar and little pieces of burr comb that they make. And I love to pull those off and taste those and see what kind of nectar's in there. Basswood is that very light, also slightly minty honey. This is just nectar. It's it's just, they're just starting on it. But that has been a thrill. They've really started to look healthy and happy once they've got that flow going on. They come out of the hives with a sense of purpose. This is something I've noticed that in my bee yard, when the sun is just right and the trees behind the yard are kind of dark and I can look at them with the, uh, you can see the bees, the sun on the bees and against that dark background, they're, they're very visible. And over the years, you can start to tell just by how the pattern of them coming and going, whether they're on a flow or not. So if they're on a flow, they come out, I mean, like a jetliner, they just come out straight and they, and a lot of them are going in the same direction. When it's not a flow, they kind of lazily come out and they might kind of zigzag um, up in the sky. My bee field is, well, my bee yard is on the edge of a, a very small field and the field is surrounded by trees on most every side. So they have to sort of rise up <laughs> from the field to get above the trees and it gives me a good vision of how they're leaving the hives. 
And one of the most thrilling things is to see them all coming out in this straight line, going straight up fast with a sense of purpose. And that lets me know they are onto something. One of the other fun things about watching them come out of the hives, because I am in the mountains, we're in a we're in a little tiny valley and it's at 3,000. There are mountains higher that kind of surround it that go up from um, to about five and 6,000 foot on one side. And then there's the valley from our house, from the 3,000 foot valley that kind of goes down lower, it, more along the river. And I would say it's closer to 2,500 foot probably along that river. So what happens is the bloom moves from the low, lower areas. The bloom moves up the mountains as the uh, season gets warmer. And then when the blooms down low, like along the river, when they've finished, when they've kind of petered out because they started early, then sometimes the blooms up at 5,000 feet are just getting going because it's later and, you know, it's uh, slower to get started up there. And so the neat thing about a bee yard in the mountains is if you observe carefully, you might notice that early on when they're coming out of the hives, they're going distinctly in, in my bee yard to the right and that's west. And so they're going down toward the river. And that lets me know that it started. And it's very funny. It's like a sundial. I mean, they are kind of like sundials. As the season progresses, then they're going off more due south. That's kind of means the bloom is here in my particular valley. And then as it goes on, they'll tilt and go off to the southeast or the east. And that's they're going mostly up uh, toward the Blue Ridge Parkway, more toward 5,000 feet. So that's kind of fun to see which direction the bees are going in their own personal sundial. And I can tell if that flow is just starting down the river or if it's finished down there and it's starting up on the ridgetops. So that's a little thing. If you happen to live in the Appalachians or in other uh, mountain ranges, I'd love to hear if you've ever noticed that. You can tell where the bloom is in this season by what direction most of the bees are going out of the apiary. Well, this has been me just um, jabbering away here on Goings On. Patrons, you're about to get a bonus podcast over on patreon.com slash fiveapple. I want to thank each and every patron over there. You really do keep me going. I will invite all of you to join over there that want to. No pressure. This free podcast will keep going as long as I can manage it. And a large part of that is due to the continued support of those patrons. So I'll close today with a thank you to some special people who help co-produce this podcast. These are the podcast angels. They mean the world to me. That is Michael, Mindy, Will, and Kathy. And also thank you to the most recent friends of Five Apple who have joined Kim, Amy, Martha, Krista, David, Tom, Alex, Sver, and Tamar. Tamar, I'm not sure if I'm saying your name right. So you write and tell me if I'm not, if it's Tamar or Tamar. <laughs> so please let me know. It's much easier for me to answer anyone who writes on Patreon because that way the messages don't get mixed up in my email box, which of course, you know, has life and bills and people pestering you for non-bee related reasons. And so I, I might tend to avoid the email for these patrons because you have taken the step of taking your hard-earned dollars and sharing them with this podcast. Believe me, I am going to do my best. All right. Thank you. Have a wonderful week, everyone, and I'll talk to you soon.